Hey mama, welcome to Postpartum Confessions, a podcast for anyone navigating the ups and downs of becoming a mom. I'm Felicia. I'm Bree, and we're here to bring you truly unfiltered conversations from the expected to the unexpected parts of being a mom. Whether you're trying to conceive, pregnant, or already a mother, this podcast is for you. Let's discover the secrets no one told you about motherhood and how to overcome them together. They say it takes a village. Welcome home. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey mama, Felicia here. Welcome back to Postpartum Confessions. Today, we're going to talk about all things PCOS. As some of you might know, today marks the start of PCOS Awareness Month, and I myself have dealt with it for some time now, so we're going to give you the inside scoop. Hi mama, this is Bree. Now, I do not have firsthand experience with PCOS, but I do know the importance of it and what a struggle it can be for some women. The more information we can get out there, the better. So today we're going to do a mini Q&A style episode with Felicia. So before we dive in, I'm going to share what PCOS is. PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's a condition in which the ovaries produce an abnormal amount of androgens, which is a male sex hormone, that are usually present in small amounts in women. So the name describes the numerous small cysts or the fluid-filled sacs that form in the ovaries. However, some women with PCOS don't have any cysts and some without will develop cysts. So, you know, it's complicated. (laughs) But in some cases, women don't make enough of the hormones needed to ovulate. So when ovulation doesn't happen, the ovaries can develop many small cysts and these cysts make the hormones called androgens. So women with PCOS often have higher levels, and this can cause more problems with a woman's menstrual cycle and lead to other symptoms, which we'll get into right now. So Felicia, can you share with us some of the symptoms of PCOS or what women can look out for if they think they might have it? Yeah. So women who have PCOS may not ovulate or they will have very like unusual or long periods or long periods of time between cycles, like 50 days to over a hundred days, it can vary in between for everyone. So you can have high levels of androgens, excess hair growth, acne, infertility, mm-hmm. and weight gain. Wow. Um, you can also experience a lot of pain and that's something that's not talked about a lot. But if you're having a lot of pain, especially mm-hmm. during your periods or even the time in between your periods, definitely reach out to someone or your provider because that can be an indicator of obviously larger problems, but also PCOS. And some more of like the less talked about symptoms can be missed periods, irregular periods, or very light periods, ovaries that are large, or you have many cysts surrounding them. So those are going to be dormant. Basically the eggs are not being released. So they kind of lay dormant around your ovaries and can develop into cysts that are enlarged and have a lot of fluid in them and can burst. Mm -hmm. You can also have excess body hair, including the chest, stomach, and back, weight gain, especially around the belly, acne or oily skin, male pattern baldness or thinning hair, infertility, small pieces of excess skin on the neck or armpits like skin tags, dark or thick skin patches on the back of the neck, in the armpits, and under the breasts. So those are all symptoms that everyone can have either all of or only a few of or you know just everything in between. There's nothing that's Mm. really going to be I guess like like form in the way of everyone has the same thing. It's always going to be different, which 
as we know, it comes with most things for women, I feel like. So really, it just can be very random. So if you just have any of these things and you're uncomfortable or have pain or you're noticing that you're getting, you know, even three or more of these symptoms, I would just check with a provider or healthcare and like just get it checked out because they can always run tests. Well, I didn't know that there was like so much into it or like, you know, many other symptoms. I knew that there was like pain associated, but I also didn't know that it could be like outside of the period. That's excruciating. Yeah. And I dealt with a lot of the pain portion. So I definitely advocate for that because it's really not talked about. And I, for one, which we will get into later in another episode, had a huge, huge problem with being totally dismissed by my doctors when I first wanted to get diagnosed. So it took Mm. me over six years to get my diagnosis. (laughs) So it can be hard when you don't know what to look for and you don't qualify in their eyes having like X of X amount of symptoms and whatnot. So it's very possible to have this and to not check off every box per se, but you can still experience all of the, you know, the A through Z that comes with it, with the excess hair and the hormone being thrown off Mm -hmm. and the missed periods and not ovulating is a huge one. Yeah. We'll get into the diagnosis and treatment in just a minute too, but I think um, it would be great if you could share a little bit more about like your experience with PCOS and why it's important for us to know more about this. I mean, like you mentioned earlier that that, um, this is the start of PCOS Awareness Month. And I mean, the more knowledge we can get out, the better. So um, if you can shed some light on that, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. So when I was about 16 years old, I started having really, really painful periods that were really heavy. I'd have to change pads or tampons within the hour. And a lot of time they like tell you like, oh, that could be Mm -hmm. considered like a problem or something. So I brought it up and my doctor had just basically told me, oh, we'll start you on the pill. And as a 16 year old, like young woman, I was like, okay, you know, and that sounds normal. Like, I feel like to me, there was like, oh, a timeline of when like people should start the pill. And now I know that that really mm-hmm. was not the best choice for me because it really started to throw off everything. They told me to take it straight for three months mm-hmm. with none of the sugar pills that they have. So uh, they yeah, told me yeah. to take it for three months. And so that I didn't get a period for three months when it was kind of, I feel like I don't even know if I necessarily would have gotten one or not because they were so irregular, but I basically took the pill like that for about four years. So for four years, I was doing three months on one week off, three months on one week off. And that's what they told me to do. And when I got off the pill, because I wanted to start regulating my body and my hormones to see if there was like a a problem here, or if it was because the pill at this point was kind of just like doing its thing. So, you know, I got off the pill and I was experiencing 120 day cycles. So I would get a period maybe. And I didn't even know at that point if I was ovulating, but I would get the period and I would have like a hundred days where I just wasn't happening, like anything, nothing was happening. So I was just in my mind at 20 years old, I was like, okay, you know, whatever. Like I don't have a period. That's kind of great on my part. I don't have to deal with the pain or anything. I don't have to deal with the bleeding or anything. So I just was kind of in a place at that point where it wasn't like big deal to me. And then of course, when I you know, I was wanted to think mm-hmm. about having my baby Riley. I was like, you know, this isn't obviously going to work if I am not getting periods. So I had brought it up one because I kept getting this like really bad pain. The first one I got when I was 18 and then I got another one when I was 19 and then I had 
surgery actually to check to see if I had endometriosis because I was having similar symptoms to that with the bloating and the skipped periods and the pain. Mm. So we had checked that and they found a huge cyst on my wall of my abdomen. And I also had found that my ovaries on one side had 13 of the dormant eggs or cysts and I had 11 on the other. My ovaries were also larger and they measured that and they still told me that this does not qualify as PCOS. Their exact words, and I remember this very vividly, was just because you have polycystic (laughs) ovaries does not mean you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I was like, okay, so what can we do about this? Because I am in pain and the cysts kept bursting. And they told me that I could go back on the pill. And that was pretty much their only solution for me. And it was probably because I was younger. I'm not quite sure of the reasoning 100%. They didn't tell me. So I was like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. at that point, I was like, they're not going to help me. My doctor told me I was too, I guess, well, her wording was that I was not getting diagnosed because she didn't believe that I had met the four out of four symptoms that they have on their qualifying books or whatever. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. the only symptom that I did not have was I was not overweight. So they would not diagnose me. (laughs) And while that is a huge symptom and I totally understand that I will never understand that part of the PCOS that does not mean that you don't have it. And that does not mean you don't go through the pain and through mm-hmm. all of the struggles that come with it. And it is just something that I don't think is really looked for mm-hmm. because they just assume that you don't have it because you don't have the excess weight gain because I also had at the same time an issue with my thyroid. Therefore, I was underweight because my thyroid was overactive. So it just wasn't really something that was going to happen for me. I wasn't just going to be able to mm-hmm. gain any weight because my thyroid was so overactive at that point and they had confirmed that with a blood test. So at that point, I just kind of understood that they weren't going to help me in that area with the symptoms. So I just bought a bunch of ovulation tests and I honestly just <laughs> got in my head about it. And I really just every single time that I felt like I should be ovulating. I would take tests and everything. And I guess long story short, the only reason why I had my daughter was because I got those tests, those ovulation tests. And I took it like religiously and had like a 90 day cycle and magically got to find the one day that I was ovulating, but I didn't get the help that I needed, Mm -hmm. which is one reason why I think this is so, so important because I don't know. If I didn't ovulate at all, I would have had to take medications. I would have had to see a fertility Mm -hmm. specialist at some point if this had gone on for too long. So I did get officially diagnosed the day that I went in to get my blood test to confirm I was pregnant Mm -hmm. with Riley because I had seen a different doctor and she had seen the ultrasounds and said, I just want you to know that you have PCOS. And I started bawling my eyes out, probably partially because of, you know, pregnancy hormones, but it was just like so interesting to me to see that someone had just seen the ultrasound and didn't even have a conversation with me, didn't need to, and was like, you have it. But my primary doctor would just refused. Mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, it's a process and it can be very frustrating because you feel like your body's Mm -hmm. fighting you and then you have doctors fighting you on it too. And just to put out there that the symptoms aren't curable, but they are, you know, you can get help. And that's what I was looking for. And they just, you know, it was just really hard. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, so 
just for my knowledge and understanding too, you have the cysts and they burst. So I'm thinking of if you have other cysts or like other things and, you know, like even like a, if different things like burst in your body, then is that, can that lead to like a, a major complication, like an infection or something? Like, cause I'm thinking like, you know, other cysts that have like toxic things. <laughs> yeah. Is that like what it could happen with them? Like multiple bursting? And then second part of that is, do you always have the cysts or do they go away or do they keep forming? Like, you know how she said, do you looked at the ultrasound? Like, do you still have some? Yes. So I guess that's a hard to answer, but from my experience, from what I know from when I got the ultrasound was that I had the 11 and 13 that were dormant. They weren't large. So I know that they weren't like about to burst, but the ones that did um, the way that they confirmed that that's what it was, is I had fluid. The three that ultrasounds that I got to confirm that they were cysts that had burst, I had a fluid in my abdomen. So they could confirm mm. like the, you know, the surrounding pain. And then I went in and then we got the ultrasound and then we saw the fluid. So they confirmed that those were cysts that had burst. They did tell me that they check to see if I'll need antibiotics, but never told me how we would confirm that because I know that sometimes mm-hmm. I'm sure, especially if someone gets a really large one, that they would want to make sure you don't get infected. But I've never had to take antibiotics, but I know some people that have, even though they've only had like one cyst. So I'm not quite sure where mm-hmm. the disconnect is or how they determine that because I never had them. But I would assume that, of course, if you have any fevers after or if you're not feeling well, to definitely go in and make sure that you do. I just never felt that way. So I think that would be Mm -hmm. why. But I guess you'll never know if they keep happening until you have the pain. That's the unfortunate part is that one after another can happen and they can, you know, grow pretty big. But I would not know unless I had the pain. And I so far, I've only had three that I know of. And and so since having your your daughter, do, have you had some of the same pain, or is the period still irregular? Period is still irregular, and I know obviously at the six week mark when they tell you, or even before you leave, that oh you should think about contraception because breastfeeding is not contraception. And then uh, a month ago, <laughs> I was told that I cannot get tested for PCOS again to re-diagnose myself because of a whole all long other story. Um, they told me that I would have to stop breastfeeding completely first for them to even acknowledge that because it can stop ovulation, which I understand. I'm not saying they're wrong, but (laughs) I see like the little like two sides of the story there. But (laughs) yeah, so I have had the pain once, but it wasn't as bad as I would, you know, go in for usually. So it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. No, I ask. And I I mean, I think I, I, appreciate you like getting into details and, and answering these just because I know it can be personal, but I think the more, I don't know, you share different possibilities, it at least gets people thinking and being able to, to understand a little bit more. Um, what about, so how does one go about getting diagnosed and what would treatment if you are diagnosed look like? So I guess like getting diagnosed like in, because of my experience, I know it can be a little difficult if you, like I said, don't meet like X amount of symptoms. But if you, I mean, mm-hmm. if you have even like three or four of these symptoms or you're in pain, I would definitely fight for it because it is the first step that you need, especially if you're going to 
want to plan for a family or you're just in a lot of pain and it affects your daily life, anything that affects Mm -hmm. your daily life, you should definitely get checked out for and fight for. And like what you're going to be like looking for and like why it's important is again, like I said, daily life, quality of life. And also like the Mm -hmm. fact that one in 10 women have, you know, dealt with this or deal with this, especially Mm -hmm. between like, they say reproductive age, but that's like a huge, you know, like that's a lot of women. (laughs) So one in 10, and then 70% of that is undiagnosed, which I do not have a hard time believing that at all at this point. (laughs) And, you know, like that's, that speaks volumes about one, people not knowing possibly about what those symptoms are, because a lot of the time people that I've spoken with just assume that they have like, you know, they're in the tough period category where their periods are just like heavier or a lot more painful and they just don't think anything of it. So that's one. And then also the, I guess the right. fight that you have to have with the doctors sometimes about getting the official diagnosis. And then also just wanted to mention, of course, everyone's journey is different. So, you know, it can be better mm-hmm. when you're younger and get worse, or it can be worse when you're younger and get better. And, you know, if you want to, like I said, start a family, it can be really emotionally taxing on you because, you know, you just feel like you're fighting your body and your body's failing you because you you see all these people that don't have to go through all those things or you don't have to go through the testing and they don't have to go through all the ultrasounds and all this stuff just to get a diagnosis Mm -hmm. so that possibly you have this like medical crutch, as some people call it, to have to take that medication to have a baby, which is... It, in my eyes, at least, I don't see a problem with that because it's just some things just don't come naturally just because of hormones. And that's just, you know, plain and simple, just it happens. So people have to take medication, you know, IVF, of course, and IUI, all of those things um, PCOS typically will lead to if it's really severe. And, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a in itself a long process. So it's just those are all things that, you know, you bring awareness to and that people understand is that PCOS comes hand in hand with a lot of extra, you know, things to juggle. And at the end of the day, it's just very emotionally taxing on everyone that has it and the struggle that they get from place A to place Z. So it's just definitely difficult for people. So I totally understand yeah, the importance of that. For sure. Um, what would be the best way then that a person can support someone who has PCOS? Um, because, you know, I mean, somebody might know and I don't know, is it, is there anything that can be done as a, as a friend, as a partner, as, you know, a family member to help support someone? Yeah. So of course it's like, there's, you know, there's not like something that you can do directly, which is hard. That's like one of the really hard parts, but I guess it all depends on where they are in their journey, but, you know, just being a shoulder to lean on just, you know, if they need to vent, if they need to take a cry. <laughs> they just need to do something like that. Just being there for them is something huge that not everyone really necessarily gets when they're going through something like this. And then also if you're a partner or if you're really close to this person and you're willing to take on part of that journey with them, because I, like I said, I didn't have the hard part of you know the weight gain, which can be very hard because you're doing everything you can to combat that and it's just not working. But if you want to try to, you know, change your lifestyle or start working out more and you have a friend or family member or spouse that wants to do that, 
being very supportive of that or even being willing to take that journey with them so that they have like a partner, like a workout partner or something with them would be like awesome because I know a lot of people just find it more, you know, first of all, accountability um, is easier with someone else, but also just have more fun conversations during walks or runs, you know, that kind of stuff. And then also being a support person during any of their doctor's appointments, at least for me, and I know some other people would have been great because it's hard hearing those things when you're alone or it's hard sometimes to kind of, I guess, stand up for yourself in some ways too. So if you have someone that's willing to even just go to some of those appointments with you, when you know there might be some pushback on things or there might be some difficulties hearing some things, and that's always a good thing too. So I guess just being there for them and being really supportive and possibly taking part of that journey with them. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think we underestimate a lot of times what just support and being that shoulder can, or how helpful that can really be, you know? But geez, I mean, I think it's definitely opened up my eyes. I didn't understand, I guess. I mean, if you don't go through it, you, it's, you obviously we can't relate to the struggle or anything, but I mean, it just adds to the list kind of, of a lot of things that women silently deal with sometimes. But the more, I don't know, the more we know, the better. When I was doing a little bit of reading on it too, I was, I didn't realize that like blood glucose levels can be elevated and become part of it too. So when you're, when you were talking about adopting a healthier lifestyle or activity level, that might be something that is helpful, but it's, it also is really hard to do. So that support there is crucial, but yeah, there's just so much that goes along with it, but I don't know. Thank you for being open about it and sharing a little bit more with us so that we can all get a better understanding too. Yeah, of course. And like I said before, it's just the quality of life can just be impacted in different ways for everyone. So I guess mm-hmm. just making sure that the advocating for yourself, if you have any of these things can really, it, mm-hmm. you know, one person, it goes for the next person. So, you know, you start somewhere and it can lead somewhere else for everyone else. So I guess just making sure that you can advocate for yourself. And if you have someone that you know, maybe struggling with symptoms and hasn't taken that first step yet, just encouraging them to do so. Yeah, I th- that's a good idea. I think sometimes people are really scared to even say something. So encouraging, you know, that there might be not that's like, oh, something's wrong with you, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that, you know, that maybe life could be improved. And, and sometimes it is scary to take that first step. So that encouragement could be very helpful. Yeah. And like I said before, just wanted to put this in case anyone didn't hear it, that it's not curable. There are some treatment plans like the pill, like they gave me and like change in diet or activity and um, obviously medications to help with ovulation if that is something that you wanted to do. So they do have treatment plans, but they're not totally curable, unfortunately. That is good to know just in case, or I don't know if you were hoping for something, you know, yeah, if you were diagnosed with this. Well, goodness. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm at a little bit of a loss sometimes. I'm like, geez, it just makes you think about, I mean, even when you cramp on like a period without PCOS and it's like incredibly painful, just magnifying that um, and having to deal with that regularly would be something that's for sure. Yeah. And it's a little difficult sometimes with trying to do things as you know, probably with, if you have any pain during regular cycles where you just kind of go out and trying to do something and you're like, eh, it hits you and you're like, eh, of course, <laughs> well, I'm trying to do something, but it's just hard. Yeah. I bet. Goodness. Well, you know, thank you again for sharing and, We're going to keep this episode short and sweet um, since it's a mini. So that's all for today. 
So to help share and bring more awareness to PCOS, share this episode while you're listening to it on Instagram. And don't forget to tag us. (laughs) All right. All right. Bye, Mama. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited you're taking this journey with us. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, or tell another mama about us. To stay up to date with postpartum confessions and get all the behind the scenes content, you can join our email list or follow us on Instagram at postpartum confessions underscore. All the links are in our show notes. They say it takes a village. Welcome home, mama. Thank you.